0: Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 97. Toby Altizer, Grant Paulson with you. We got a big show announcement. We'll kick it off with that. Also want to talk about the young kids at spring training. How are they doing? And we'll talk briefly about the Strauss situation. Keep it tuned right here. It's Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 97. And it starts right now. Toby Altizer, Grant Paulson here with you. Bust Loose Baseball episode 97. We'll start with a big announcement, Grant. A lot to be excited about. Spring training underway. Beautiful weather down in West Palm Beach. And we're going to be in West Palm Beach not that long from now, so make sure you keep it tuned right here to Bust Loose Baseball. We'll get you plenty of new content from down at spring training. Grant. Cannot wait to be in West Palm to check out the Nats.
1: Yeah. Lengthy trip for us too. better part of a week. We'll be down there. We're going to get a lot of interviews for the pod. People will be hearing from many of the prospects and the players that we talk so much about throughout the baseball season. So uh, this is a really cool opportunity for Bust and Loose Baseball. We're fired up. The Nats are going to uh, help us make the most of our trip, but we're going down there this weekend and coming back late next week and uh, we're gonna have live pods while we're down there we got an airbnb spot so we'll be able to post uh, i think we should do at least two probably just to really kick off the season maybe even three pods next week bang out uh something you know 30 40 minutes each night or something while we're down there but uh make sure that you've got bust and loose baseball in your feed you subscribe uh please rate and review obviously we read all the comments you guys leave but This to me now, you know, we've kind of been sparingly dropping them throughout the offseason as something happens. I think this coming week with us going to spring training really kicks off our Nats coverage steadily multiple times a week at at minimum for the the rest of the season. So we're excited, man. And I uh, am fired up. If you need help packing, let me know. I can help fold (laughs) your clothes and get your toiletries in a little baggie for you. But let's rock and roll.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if you see us down there in West Palm, come up and say, hi, we're excited to be down there. And it's a great time to get started, Grant, because, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday morning. James Wood in three games has an RBI in all three, two homers in his first two games. Brady House had a two RBI single. And it's crazy because, you know, you see the regulars in there. and It's it's fun to watch Nationals baseball again. And you're excited about it. But all the focus is on the young kids. And you know, I I think it's a little ironic that that first game against the Astros, the regulars are out there, and it was kind of like, blah blah blah. Even though it's the first spring training game, I was like, eh. And then the young kids got in there, and there was excitement. James Wood hitting the ball a mile, so a lot of excitement about this team, and a lot of excitement about the young kids, and they're showing out in spring training thus far, and it's a, it's an encouraging sign.
1: Yeah, James Wood has two of the three home runs the Nats have hit in just his six at bats. But you're right, you know, having played in three games, uh, RBI knocks in all three, uh, was back to back. First pitch he saw, matter of fact, at spring training, he hit over the berm in right field, was just a bomb. And then the following day, in his second at bat, left on left on Sunday, pretty incredible. Uh, he fell behind 0 2, kind of worked the count. And uh, got you know, to a point where he had spit on a pitch, a uh, sweeper in the dirt. He swung through a slider and then eventually hit that pitch over the fence. But again, left on left dead center field, ultra impressive at bat. Um, He's also had other good ABs that didn't result in home runs, but he's three for his first six. One of the things I'm also encouraged by, and it's very, very early, small sample, but no strikeouts for James Wood. You know, my my biggest storyline for him, I know he's got pop like Orville Redenbacher. I know the guy's going to hit bombs. I know he can run. But, I mean, this guy, you know, last year, the, the one concern was his strikeout rate climbed, right? And he got to a point where he was striking out about 37% of the time, which is pretty alarming. You know, there, there was some swing adjustments needed going into the offseason. He worked his butt off. Uh, I've been told from a bunch of different sources that, you know, he grinded, tweaked the swing, that it is going to look good, different this year, and and you've already seen that. So no strikeouts to this point. You know, a big, big deal. And the last thing I want to say about James Wood, just showcasing his skills in these first few games, uh, something I've loved The sprint speed for James Wood already on display. Uh, If you look at baseball savant last year, Corbin Carroll averaged 4.08 seconds uh, from home to first on plays where he was actually trying to beat a play out, which was the second fastest average speed in the sport, 4.08. James Wood was clocked at 4.07 seconds going from home to first. So essentially right there with... Carroll, who flies as the second fastest guy in the big leagues, and and James Wood, 6'6", 235, with 40 home run power. So it really is a special skill set. It's exciting, and it's a hell of a way to start the spring for him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that most impressed me was we talked about the strikeout rate, and we've seen him a couple times in person, and it felt like he had a good approach at the plate. And sometimes he was taking pitches that maybe he could do some damage with early in the count kind of working counts and doing a good job of of being disciplined at the plate. But I wanted to see him be a bit more aggressive. And first pitch he saw this spring, he sent over the right field wall for a dinger. So I like to see a little more aggressiveness at the plate from him, just because I think, you know, when you have those long levers, when you have as big a strike zone as he does being a big guy, you know, sometimes you can have bad calls or it's just such a big strike zone to have to defend where if you get a good pitch, you know, first pitch, Swing at it. You know, if you feel like you can do damage. So I like that fact you bring up no strikeouts. That's obviously incredibly encouraging. And I think you can see, I mean, even people around baseball are getting pretty hyped about this guy. Just seeing different people tweet about him and seeing Padres fans even tweet like, man, this guy was in our organization and now he's with the Nats. So a lot to be excited about with James Wood. Some of the other guys, Dylan Cruz hasn't necessarily stood out too, too much when he's been in games. We can talk a bit about Cruz if you want, but I want to get to Brady House. He's appeared in a couple of games, but in the last game, he had a two RBI single. This is a guy I think isn't quite as close as Wood or as Cruz to the big leagues. But seeing this guy at big league camp rubbing elbows with these guys, I think it's really important because he's a young guy. He's still really young, drafted out of high school. And obviously, if you've listened to this podcast, you know how high I am on Brady House. But having him at big league camp, having him kind of go through these things and you know, at least be productive in the couple of at-bats he's gotten so far, I think is really encouraging for Brady House. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Uh, Look, you've been high on him, as have
1: most, but I think you've kind of, Highlighted him as maybe the guy you're most excited about. He's won for his first six. You mentioned he's played in a couple of games. Um, the big two-run knock was a big deal, but again, balls in play. Uh, I'm I'm not trying to overvalue early season spring production. I don't want to be a buzzkill either, right? But you know, you're facing at times guys that aren't going to be on big league rosters. But I think you got to also note that in the case of James Wood, did you know or uh, Brady House, some of these guys, it's not like they've been in the big leagues, right? I mean, they were mostly in, in double A. I mean, at one point last year, Brady House was playing, you know, at the A-plus level. So even if it's guys that have had very little big league success, got rocked in the upper minors or whatever, they're still leveling up and, and having good ABs. Uh, I'm looking at exit velocities, process, those types of things, pitches in and at bat. You know, are are you being overmatched? Um, and, and that hasn't been the case. Same with uh, Dylan Cruz, right? Cruz hit a ball 105 miles an hour off the bat the other day, had nothing to show for it. He's over his first three, but he's drawn a couple walks to cancel out the two strikeouts in his two games. So, you know, it's, it, everyone's not going to do the James Wood bit, right? Where you, you Homer in game one, you <laughs> Homer in game two, you drive in another couple, uh, you know, another RBI knocking game three, but uh, are you having good ABs? Are you putting the barrel to the ball? Are you, is the exit velocity uh, encouraging, you know, when you hit a ball 105 off the bat, if you're Cruz and you sting it into the outfield tells me you're on it, that the timing's there. So uh, very, very encouraging for those guys and, and really kind of across the board with some of the young prospects. Um, how about Robert Hassel's, you know, three for five to start the spring with a home run. I mean, what, what an encouraging sign Toby it was to see Hassel hit a home run period, you know, after last year where the
0: power was sapped. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Hassel is, like, we've talked about him plenty, so we don't need to dive deep into it. But this is a safe guy, and all of a sudden he struggled, and it looks like he's maybe finding some of that. I mean... We talked briefly about the injury and how it might be affecting him last year, but who knows? Maybe it was something that just really zapped some of that power, zapped some of his ability to spray the ball all over the field, and seeing him come out and be able to do that. And he's not just hitting little dinkers, right, Grant? Like It's not like it's little bloop singles over the shortstop's head going the other way. Like He's driving the ball all over the ballpark. So, again, don't want to take too, too much away from just a couple-game sample size but this is also something that it felt like we didn't see a whole lot of, especially at this sort of level, right? It's not like he's always facing major league arms, but either way, this is a guy that you have high hopes for, at least just to be a big part of your organization. And he kind of was disappointing last year. It looks like he's bouncing back in a real way. So it's nice to see that. It's a, I'd rather see him go three for five than oh for five, right? So I'm excited to see what he can do because if he can come back and be You know, the guy that you expected, even if it's not an all-star level or, you know, MVP level, just being a solid role player, the Nats have a couple of good outfielders and crews and Wood that you think can be all-star, maybe even MVP caliber players. You don't necessarily need another difference maker, but having a solid guy like Hassel that can play all over the outfield, I think just kind of boosts all the the rebuild there because, I mean, we forget about Elijah Green. I think there's a lot to be excited about what we've seen early on, and Robert Hassel, outside of James Wood, has probably been the most impressive guy.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, To your point, you know, I'm I'm hesitant – to like start throwing parties, but look, this is going to go one way or the other. Theoretically, like you're going to look like you did last year, you're going to look like you're you're producing and, and off to a quick start. So this is all good news, you know. Even guys that I don't think uh, Nassim Nunez hits at all. I don't think that guy can hit really, but he's looked sterling defensively, and and they brought him over now, and I think he'll be in the big leagues helping out with the gloves. So yeah, all the way around, I'd say it's been mostly really encouraging. Uh, we'll get to the pitching in a second. One thing I did want to point out is uh, Houston, we've got a bit of a developing issue here with Kay Brett Ruiz. Um, three catcher interference calls against him as he's moved up closer to home plate to help him as a receiver. Uh, they're doing a lot of smart things. You know, I've kind of thought they're catching instruction on the outside looking in the last few years was a bit antiquated you know, and that Ruiz wasn't down on one knee, which is kind of the way that catching is now done uh, professionally. And it helps you with framing and things. Um, They're starting to do that. They're they're getting him to a point where I think they're they're being smart. The problem is that as he's moved up closer to the plate, he's continually now getting in the way of the swing path. So they're going to have to recalibrate that a little bit, but that's what spring training is all about. You know, happened two times. I think in game one, it happened another time yesterday. So they're just going to iron that uh, out to make sure that this isn't a a factor when the season starts.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad that you pointed that out because last year he was atrocious behind the plate. And so if he were just going to go back out there and you're not seeing him change anything, I think that'd be alarming. Just looking at some of the stats, from baseball savant his fielding run value last year was in the first percentile his blocks above average was the sixth percentile caught stealing above average first percentile framing third percentile pop time fourth percentile so if you were to just go out there and not change a single thing then that'd be alarming because you were arguably the worst defensive catcher in baseball so at least they're trying something just to be clear toby for people that you know, don't have kids
1: and haven't gone to the doctor's appointment where you find out what percentile their height is and everything, you want to be in the 100th percentile, yes. not the first. <laughs> like, first percentile means 99% of the players are better than you at something. When you're in the 100th percentile, that's a good thing. Like, those numbers you just gave were outrageously bad. So, the, to me, this is the whole ball game for him this year. Like, what is he long-term? As a catcher, defensively, it, can he get better? And I think that the what they're now doing with him, like get on a knee, help yourself out, get closer to the plate, they're making changes. So that's really healthy and good. I think that's like encouraging to me. Uh, but th- these are part of the growing pains, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're trying something. It seems like they're emphasizing framing because that would be the reason to get down on the one knee. That's not going to help you throw runners out. Because to me, if you're a catcher, obviously last year was atrocious – it, maybe he's never going to be a stud defensive catcher, and that's fine. But I need you to at least give me one thing. Either give me framing or throw runners out. And he was doing neither last year. So, sounds like they're going to work on the framing. Because the thing is, I like Caber Ruiz. And last year, you look at his numbers, and that's good for a catcher. If you were to have to move him and put him at first base or something like that, that's not great for a first baseman. So, it really helps the rebuild and helps you if this guy can stick at catcher. He doesn't have to be the best defensive catcher in the league but he has to be much better than he was last year so again people are going to freak out about the catcher's interferences they're trying to fix some stuff which i'll take but you can't have catcher's interferences in turn but i think you know shifting from the catching grant we've seen some struggles from the guys early on with uh pitching you saw you know the first game you saw patrick corbin struggle you saw Yoan do struggle but then you saw some of the younger guys that you're really excited about. Mackenzie Gore had a really good first inning, then gave up a run in the second inning. But I thought overall was a a solid outing for him. What did you make of Gore? I, I thought that he had a, you know, not an A-plus outing because you give up a run, but he at least looked solid. He was pitch efficient, which I liked. I think 26 pitches in his <sighs> first outing. That's what I wanted to see out of Gore. Good first outing of the spring.
1: Agreed. I thought he was better than the line. Two innings, two hits, one run. Uh four strikeouts. So his ERA will be four and a half going into his next start. I thought it was better than that. It was uh up to 96, t- pitched at the top of the zone, which at times last year was an issue. He was, you know, didn't that forcing fastball from the left side with his spin. If he could throw it, you know, doolittle style, like up near the top of the zone, 95, 96, 97 is going to play up like it's, you know, touching 100 um, in terms of what it's gonna look like. So I thought that was really, really encouraging. Um, to see and and I, I really liked what I saw. Uh, Josiah Gray was awesome. That's going back to Monday, I guess, yesterday. Uh, two shutout, a couple of hits, five strikeouts. Remember, he had an unbelievable spring last year. Seems to really show up in ready to go and in good shape. Uh, had like a one seventy A or something top of the head last year, and uh, should have been the opening day starter based on you know a meritocracy, but obviously Corbin got the nod. Uh, that was good to see. Jake Irvin, I thought, uh, in his outing was pretty good. He did hit a couple batters, so he was all over the place. Gave up a run in a couple of hits, but he struck out four in two innings. How about Mitchell Parker? Mitchell Parker punched out three in two perfect frames. What a great first start of the season for him. Uh, Jackson Rutledge competing for back of the rotation spot maybe. One hit, one walk, two strikeouts, and two scoreless. So the guys that I care the most about with all due respect to Corbin <laughs> or – You know, some of the other veterans that are going to be pitching here. uh, uh, Really, everybody threw well, I thought.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, it comes back to we talk about the young guys. They're the guys with the most talent on the roster at this point, even if they're not going to be in the bigs to start the year. Those are the guys that are most encouraging. And how about your guy Cole Henry getting on the hill? And striking out three in an inning. So a lot to be excited about with these guys. And I wanted to briefly hit on this because I know people were kind of freaking out about the sign that was out of spring training that our guy Andrew Golden tweeted out. I don't know how exactly you felt about it, Grant, with the we don't care how fast you throw ball four. The reason they put that sign up, because I think this is a big thing for Gore and Gray. You look at their walk rate last year. Gore was a 9.8%, which is in the 29th percentile, which again, bad, basically means you're in the bottom quarter of the league. And Josiah Gray was at 11.5% in the 12th percentile. So those guys, I think, can fix major issues if they just don't walk as many guys. And so seeing JoJo go out there in his first outing and do that, I think, was encouraging. Same thing with Gore. His stuff is incredible. Last year, you mentioned his fastball. Last year, his fastball went from a run value of 5 in 2022 to a negative 3. So if he just regains some of that effectiveness on his fastball and you know limits the walk rate, you could see his 4.42 ERA go from that down to in the threes just by fixing those two things. So I think it's really encouraging to see what you've seen from these guys. You mentioned to Jake Irvin. You don't like that he's hitting guys early, but I think there's a lot to be excited about. Jackson Rutledge was one of the guys that, I kind of was excited to see how he did in spring training because that fifth starter spot or, you know, somewhere in that rotation is going to be open at some point in the year. Does he maybe stick there coming out or is it something where eventually he gets that spot, but he was really good. And that first outing that first game seemed like it was about to spiral out of control for the Nats and like (laughs) dudes are throwing 40 and 50 pitches that they don't necessarily want to have happen. And Jackson Rutledge came in there and kind of nailed it down and looked like you know, the best pitcher on the Nats roster so far, uh, you know, to that point in the year. So it was exciting to see him get out there. And I think that, you know, if he keeps pitching like that, he's going to make a real push to be in that starting rotation to start the year. So encouraging start for a lot of these young guys. And I think that's a theme that you're going to hear a lot about spring training.
1: No doubt. I want to go back to Cole Henry for a second. Um, Just because as you know, that's, that's kind of my guy. Um, Striking out the side. What what an awesome, Page in his comeback if you will very very small part of the book that he's writing but like an encouraging really cool thing people forget man 2021 he had a 2-3 ERA in 47 innings he struck out 70 with a 171 average against second round pick out of LSU he looked like he was about to be a household name then 2022 before he got hurt shut down thoracic outlet at 170 RA and nine starts, 31 innings and in just 14 hits. You don't see that. Like, that is insanity to go along with 34 strikeouts. He had, you know, almost, uh, I don't know, two and a half strikeouts for every hit he allowed, 131 average against. I mean, what this guy's done in the minors at times has been astounding. He's trying to do something really, really hard coming back from. TOS which is obviously what has ended Stras's career and so many other pitchers along the way have have really seen their careers derailed by it um so fingers are crossed for him he's fighting an uphill battle he's pushing a boulder up a hill here but the former number 55 pick you know striking out the side in an inning uh one of the highlights of the early camp for me
0: yeah it's a shame because I thought this guy was going to be You know, someone that you could depend on the rotation before he had the surgery. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see because this is a tough thing to come back from. We haven't seen tons and tons of pitchers come back from it. So basically he's writing his own story if he can come back and pitch in the majors and be effective. And I don't know that he's ever going to be a starter again. I don't know if you agree with that or not, Grant. But either way, if he can just regain effectiveness like that and be a solid reliever for you, you'd be thrilled with that.
1: Yeah, totally. Um I yeah, just getting him to the big leagues, being a productive pitcher, I think at this point should be the goal and the hope. Um, and, and if that happens, then you can kind of recalibrate after a year or two of health. But for right now, I think it's just a matter of staying on the hill, uh being able to attack hitters and getting comfortable, um, which he's done. But very strong performances early on from the young guys we're tracking. Later. What about I mentioned Strasburg and Thoracic Outlet? The big question was is Stras gonna show up at spring training? The deadline is coming gone.
0: <laughs> Thus far, no Stras. So this is what it was interesting. I had Mark Zuckerman on, and we were talking about this on 1067 the fan this past week. And this is what I thought was maybe the most interesting part of this. And it really has nothing to do with the contract details, nothing of that. The Nationals, uh, you know, I think, I don't know if we're giving them enough credit for like a a savage move here or not, are holding a celebration for winning the World Series five years ago against the Houston Astros in the middle to end of April, April 19th through April 21st. And so they're going to bring back a lot of guys, from that World Series team that have retired, right? Maybe a Howie Kendrick's going to be there. Maybe, you know, Anibal Sanchez. Like, those sorts of guys are going to be there. Obviously, Steven Strasburg would be there as the World Series MVP and be honored and be thrilled to be there. Is he going to be there, though? Because how can he with everything that's going on? And that's the real shame of this situation. I don't really care which side you're on. I don't really care how they settle it, because, frankly, that's above my pay grade. But as a fan of this team... It would be a real shame if they hold a ceremony over that weekend to commemorate the 2019 team that we all know and love. And the World Series MVP, Steven Strasburg, isn't in attendance because of some stupid contract dispute that really is petty and useless because he's never going to pitch again regardless. So I, I don't know what the exact way to solve all this is. I don't know if it's on the learner side. I don't know if it's on Strauss' side. And frankly, I don't really care because it needs to be fixed because this is a Nationals legend. And at this point, his name's kind of being dragged through the dirt, whether it's, you know, by his own fault or whoever's. It's just a shame that we're going through this saga when hopefully it can be solved by then. And if it's not, it's just going to be a glaring uh, disappointment, par- disappointing part of that weekend, right? I mean, that's going to be a fun celebration to remember 2019, especially with the team that we've watched this last couple of years It hasn't been that same level. So seeing some of those guys and remembering the good times of Nationals baseball in 2019 is just going to feel like it's missing something if Strauss isn't able to be a part of that. So hopefully they can fix this because I, I just don't want to have a saga where it blemishes his legacy just because it goes on for a year or two years or something like that. Like if we were to get past this right now and this were all to be settled grants, I think we could throw this as water under the bridge where it's just an awkward, you know, six months or so awkward, seven months or so. And, you know, in five years, we'll be like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. He had that little contract dispute at the end of his career and we'll forget about it. But if this is something that continues to drag on, I think it's a real shame for Strauss and for the Nationals because this is a legend that should be able to enjoy his time in the sun before he, you know, he's not a public guy. So it's not like we're going to see Strauss all the time once he officially retires. So, I mean, heck, we might not see Strauss a whole lot more, but we're not going to get that last chance, it feels like, with the way things are going right now.
1: So everything you just said is right. I, I guess the only thing I would add is, or the only thing I would double down on is, I need to to be at a place where when it's time to honor Steven Strasburg and really more importantly, the 2019 world series champions that he was the MVP of, he needs to be there. He needs to be happy to be there. He needs to just have a good enough relationship with the team to make sure that he's comfortable and If that's not the case, then they need to work on this relationship every single day until it is, period. Uh, He's never going to pitch again. He doesn't need to. I don't need him at spring training helping Cole Henry, right? What I need him to be able to do is to come back without animus. And right now, it seems like that's not where we're at, and they need to get there. Uh, It's it's as much Strauss or or Boris's job, I guess, as anybody's, but the team— owes it to the fans to make sure that this guy doesn't hate their guts enough that he's willing to show up. And I'm not suggesting that they're evil or they were wrong. I don't really care how we got here. It's it's like, you know, my mom uh, saying, I don't care who's wrong. You both go to your rooms, right? Like figure this out because as fans, we need those two to be together.
0: Yeah, and I feel like it's amplified too because you see Sean Doolittle joining the coaching staff and he's a part of things. And obviously we're not going to have Steven Strasburg join the coaching staff. That's not what I'm saying here. But even you see Zim down in spring training just for a couple of days and you know, two guys that were a part of that team that are Nationals legends forever are around the organization. And it's fun to see those sorts of things and hear those conversations and nice to have those guys influencing them. And I'm not saying that Strauss has to be around all these guys. But like you said, a World Series celebration isn't complete if Steven Strasburg isn't there because he was the World Series MVP. They don't win that World Series without Steven Strasburg being as great as he was during that postseason run. And so, frankly, like you said, and I think you nailed it right there, like it doesn't really matter which side is wrong. Both sides are wrong in the end. Get it fixed by any means necessary. And it's, it, it's not necessarily who's got to figure it out and who's got to concede. I don't really care about any of that stuff. We as fans, because I think we can consider ourselves in that sort of boat there. We cheer for the Nationals as well. But we as fans want to see Steven Strasburg a part of that wonderful weekend. It's going to be fun to watch with the Astros back in town and celebrating that team. And it's going to feel like it's missing a major piece if Steven Strasburg isn't able to be a part of it. So don't screw the fans that are showing up for that celebration. And you're showing all the highlights from 2019. What are you going to do? Leave Stras out of it? <laughs> you can't you can't leave strass out of a highlight montage of that 2019 world series so he's a major part of it hopefully he can be there hopefully they can get this thing fixed because honestly a lot of the other stuff around the organization i think is on the up and up and i want to get your brief thoughts on this here grant as we uh, wrap up episode 97 so i brought this up on 1067 the fan the other day because i think some fans were a little bit frustrated so espn put out a ranking of farm systems and the Nationals were still ranked 16th. And I think some people were still frustrated by the fact that the Nationals are in the bottom half of the league in that. And I think the thing that I would give Nationals fans uh, some hope for is this farm system was down in the depths. The fact that they're at 16th is an encouragement and a step forward, and you saw that step forward last year like we talked about all throughout the year. You know, If you were to go through and say – who had an encouraging season last season in the minor leagues versus who had a disappointing season? I think you can find a couple disappointments. You talked about Robert Hassel. You can talk about Elijah Green. You can maybe find some other guys as well. But there's more Dalen Lyles. There's more Trey Lipscombs. And then even in the draft, obviously hitting on Dylan Cruz is nice, but seeing Yo-Yo do what he did, Andrew Pinkney. we'll see with Sakura. But I think you're starting to see it go in the right direction. So don't be miffed at the idea that they're still ranked in the bottom half of the league. They've really only had one, maybe two years going in the right direction, it feels like, you know, just on their own, not from trading people, but seeing guys really take that next step in development and drafting the right guys. So I think that they're at least heading in the right direction. They just got to keep building off of that.
1: Yeah, last year was super encouraging. Um, You know, one of the issues I had with last year is a couple of guys, it seemed like took steps back. You know, whether it was Hassel or Arlene Susana that they got in the deal, it was certainly not a step back in any way for my guy James Wood, but obviously the strikeout's creeping up a little bit, so there's some question there. So you you just want to make sure that you feel like, as a fan, that you feel like they're developing well, right? Like, it seems like Hassel was one thing when they got him, and he was less by the end of the year. And you could say the same in some cases, I guess, about Susana. But to your point... They've done a really good job with some other players. You know, I, I was not huge on, I, I love the ceiling of Elijah Green, but I, I just didn't like the swing and miss anyway and, and trust that it was going to work out. So I don't view that as like, you know, he, he hasn't gotten the right instruction. I, I hope that it, it does work. But like Dalen Lyle is a huge success story for them. The way Yawani Morales played last year after he was drafted was a, a big deal for them. I thought uh, you mentioned Pinckney with the 23-year-old who got to Double A and, and played his butt off. Uh, out of the SEC. Like, there were a lot of guys like that. You go back before that to Jeremy De La Rosa a year ago or T.J. White at Fredericksburg, who looked really good as a young guy. Um, you, you highlighted Lipscomb many, many times on the show. Like, there are plenty of that, that tier of prospect uh, that that I'm pumped about. We won't see Jake Bennett this year, who pitched really well. Looks like they might have unearthed a gem there. Uh, he obviously, we had the story here on um, a BLB at one point that he's having Tommy John surgery. I want to see Travis Acora this year. I think he could be a household name from a power right-handed pitching standpoint and prospect. Um, DJ hers kicked butt. You know he was awesome yeah. after the trade last year. We didn't mention him, but already this spring he looked really good as well. That guy struck out 130 batters in less than 100 innings last year and at a sub 200 average against for the third straight year in the minor leagues. I don't know if he's a starter or not. He hasn't really thrown enough strikes for me to feel great about that. But if he is a starter, like a five-and-dive guy, he could be nasty. So, yeah, the system has gotten a lot better in a short time. The Soto deal, the biggest reason why. Some of the other sales that they've made as well. But uh, I'm fired up, man. I'm ready. And I just it's an exciting time to be a Nats fan. And for you and I, selfishly, it's a hell of a time to get ready to go down to West Palm and
0: put eyeballs on all these guys. Yeah, and as you mentioned there, GP, the next episode you hear from us on Bustin' Loose Baseball will be down in West Palm Beach, so make sure you keep it tuned right here. We'll try to get you as much good content as possible, some interviews and all that stuff down in West Palm Beach. So appreciate you guys for listening in. For Grant Paulson, I'm Toby Altizer. This has been Bustin' Loose Baseball episode 97. Episodes 98, maybe 99, maybe even 100 are going to be down in West Palm Beach, so we're excited about that. Appreciate you guys listening in. We'll be right back with you another time later this week talking Nats baseball and spring training down in beautiful, sunny West Palm Beach.